Rambam, Mishneh Torah, Hilchais, the laws of Nachalois or Necholois, inheritance, chapter 10 of 11. We're winding down. Pedic Asidi, chapter 10. The laws of inheritance are that when there are many heirs or several heirs, the estate is divided. Shnei Achim Shachoku, two brothers who divided the estate of their father, and everything is wonderful. Suddenly, a new son shows up from overseas, from uh, Cuba. And he says, guess what? I'm your brother. I'm a brother from another mother. Now, we know the law is paternal. Children inherit. Children of the father. The father could have all kinds of wives here, there, and everywhere. So suddenly he comes and says, I'm in the equation. But they already made the division. So also three brothers divided the estate. And suddenly a creditor came. He had a note. He had a contract. He had it all. And he says, the estate owes me money. And he took the portion. There were three brothers, Manny, Mo, and Jack. And the creditor came and took Manny's portion. So he's left without anything. Mo and Jack have it all. Even at the time of the division. One of them took real estate. The other took cash. And he figured cash could be stolen from him. Real estate could be foreclosed on. He took a chance. Still, the law is that being that this was done under false pretenses, nobody knew there was another brother. Nobody knew there was a creditor. The division that took place earlier is now null and void. And they go and redistribute whatever is left. So the law here says an erroneous division is not a division. Now we know there's another brother. Now we know there's a creditor. You've got to redivide. Now, we learned earlier extensively the laws of Shchiv Meira, a dying man. Our sages were liberal. They said he could order certain gifts to certain people as he wishes, and he doesn't need it even written down because we don't want him to get upset. It's something that our sages ordained to be kind to a dying man. If somebody gave the order as he was dying, the language of this is the verbiage, the instruction, the will of a dying man. What was the case in this scenario? They should give so-and-so, they should give Mr. Cohen a palm tree from his estate. They should give Mr. Schwartz a field of his many fields. And then they got busy, and they got Meshigah, and the brothers made the division, and they gave Mr. Cohen or Mr. Schwartz nada. They gave him nothing. They forgot about him. But they are violating the will of the father. The division is null and void. What do you do? They first distribute 
as per the instruction of the dying man, and then they redivide and redistribute everything amongst the heirs. Gimel three brothers divided the estate. Now the question is: till now, this family was a very wealthy man with a very large estate, and nobody worked. Until now, the family was living off the wealth of the estate. As they divide the estate, they also appraise and count the clothing of the brothers because they're not wearing clothing from Sears or from Mervyn's Olavashalam. They're wearing expensive clothing from Nordstrom's, from Bloomingdale's. That goes for the brothers, all the Brooks Brothers suits. But the clothing on their wives and children, which they acquired, from the funds of the estate, from the estate funds, ain't shaman, we don't count. Because we assume that when one of the brothers buys something, although he bought it from the funds of their father's estate, and he gives it to his wife or children, this is a gift to them and they acquire it. So also, that which the brothers' wives are wearing, they acquired it by wearing it. We don't start reappraising, reevaluating everything every daughter-in-law is wearing. Now you have to understand that obviously we're talking about also a wealthy person, so it could accumulate. It could be a lot of money. When does this apply that we do not consider the garments of the wives of the heirs Big day if you're talking about weekday, everyday garments, plain stuff. big day Shabbos, but Sabbath garments, or in festival garments. That's usually expensive stuff. Shomin Mashalayam, we estimate and evaluate even those garments worn by the wives of the heirs, and that also counts into the division. So we say, Moshe, your wife has $5,000 worth of clothing. You already got $5,000. Beryl, your wife has $8,000. You got $8,000, and so on, and so on, and so forth. Dalid if somebody, God forbid, left young orphans, some of his sons were adults, and some of them were young, under the age of majority, under bar mitzvah, under bas mitzvah. And the older ones are very eager to bring about a finalized division because they want to be able to take their part of the estate and do business. And again, we're not talking about somebody who left $6. We're talking about somebody who left $6 million. And everybody's eager to get to the money. But they can't divide it to use modern language because it's in probate. We're trying to move it out of probate. The courts set up a guardian, a legal guardian for the orphans who are minors because the minors need to be protected. And the guardian tries to pick a nice portion for the minors, maybe even the best portion. The guardian has to fight for the rights of the minor orphans. Once these orphans reach majority age, they can't file a lawsuit and object. 
because the guardian was appointed, court appointed, so the court is responsible. Unless the court or the court appointed guardians made a mistake and gave an evaluation of one-sixth or more, less than the value, and we learned this extensively in the laws of business, that an error is an error and forgotten unless it's one-sixth or more, if my memory serves me correct, 16.66% or more, that you don't forgive. So in this case, if it's 16.66% or more, here the miners, once they reach majority age, could object. And they force a new division once they reach majority age. Hey, Misha if somebody died, a man died, and he left heirs, both of majority age and minors, the court must appoint, or better yet, he should appoint, a guardian should involve himself in supervising the portions of the minor until the minor will reach adult age. Perhaps in today's world we refer to this as an executor of the will, and the executor is responsible to protect everybody's portion. Or a guardian. What if he didn't? Then the court has to appoint a guardian. Until the minors grow up and become of post-bar and bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah age. Why is that? Why the courts? The answer is, and this is a very important statement, because the courts are the father of the orphans. Who else is going to be the father of someone who's fatherless if not the beddin, the courts? What if the person who was dying gave the word, gave the order, and said, You give the portion that belongs to my minor offspring, give it to him, even though he's nine years old. Don't worry about it. He's a grown-up nine. Let him do whatever he wants. You'll see he's a smart kid. And the kid goes and buys candy with a million dollars. Harshus the right to make that statement is the right of the father. You want to have your minor sons just waste or splurge your, his entire inheritance? Go ahead, knock yourself out. So also, the father appointed Apetrupis, a guardian on children, cotton. But the guardian was a minor. Aisha, or the guardian, was a woman who back then was not familiar with business practice. It's not that we're prejudiced against women, but women, by and large, were not in the world of business. A ebed or a servant that was not business-oriented. Or, we say, there's an old expression, that marbe avodim marbe gozel. If somebody has a lot of servants, he has a lot of theft going on. Because the more servants you have in your house, the more they rob you blind. That's why the video camera business does so well. If this guy wants to just do something stupid, he's entitled to be as stupid as he wants to. But that is if the dying man himself appoints someone who's not suitable 
to be a guardian, knock yourself out. But the courts, when they appoint a guardian, Laisha should not be a woman who, by and large, then was inexperienced in the world of business, or a servant who's not trustworthy, or a minor, and here he adds, not an ignorant person who is not a moral person. In halacha, we talk about amoritz means he doesn't know how to study Torah. That's one level of ignorant. In this case, if, as long as he knows business, he doesn't have to learn, know how to study Torah. But there's another interpretation that is an amoritz is a lowlife, someone who doesn't have morals. This guy should not be a guardian. In today's world, by the way, my friends, you have a lot of court-appointed guardians who are appointed for senior citizens who lose their cognizance, who have Alzheimer's or, God forbid, other infirmities or what have you. And very often, guardians rob the people they're supposed to guard. May it not happen like it happens. So halacha is not being paranoid by saying you've got to be careful that the guardian is a God-fearing, knowledgeable, responsible person. Otherwise, people rob estates all the time. It's a, if you're looking for a good business to go into, it's a good business to go rob estates. I'm just kidding. It's terrible. Shehu becheskes choshet alaveda. Somebody who's in the category of this interpretation of am ha'oretz means he is suspected that he'll, God forbid, violate every commandment in the world. He has no conscience when it comes to stealing and robbing his client. Ella, the courts must bake and search. And for a trustworthy person, and a person of character, of valor, who knows how to fight for the rights of the orphans, knows how to present their case, and has strength in the world of business. You know, you could be a great Torah scholar and be an idiot in business. You have to be qualified in the world of business in order to guard the possessions, and not only do you have to guard the orphans' possessions, you have to profit by them. If the estate does not make money, then because of inflation, it's losing money. You've got to make money. Not to make money is losing money. So this guy has to be sophisticated. Now the question is, if he's that sophisticated, why would he want to be a court-appointed guardian? The answer is because he has some spirituality within him as well. He wants to help orphans. And he is appointed. Over orphans. Whether he's not related or he's related. We learned earlier that no relative should be sent into the fields because he feels a sense of entitlement. If he's a, rela- a relation, if he's a relative, he should not go down into the fields because we're concerned he's not going to treat it properly. Zion, seven out of eight. When the courts appointed a court-appointed guardian and they thought all was well, then they start hearing rumors. That he is hanging around in high-priced restaurants and bars. He's having a good time. And he is spending money that no one ever knew he had. The court should be suspicious of this fellow. Where did he get such money from all of a sudden? 
They should look into the fact, perhaps he's consuming the estate of these miners whose estate he's supposed to be guarding. You never know. Sometimes somebody cannot control himself when there's money. And they remove him, and they replace him with another court-appointed guardian. If the father himself before he died appointed him, in that case, we do not remove him because we see that the father had confidence in him. So we have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he was walking down the street and found a bundle of $100 bills. Maybe he's in the money. Maybe he won the lottery. If reliable, kosher witnesses came and testified and said, listen, this guy's a crook. And he's causing the estate of these orphans to be lost and diminished. The court forcibly removes him, even though he was appointed by the father. And all the scholars have already agreed that he's coerced and he's forced to take an oath that he did not misappropriate the money belonging to the orphans, because he's causing the estate to be diminished. The same law applies to a court appointed, to a guardian, appointed not by the courts, but by the father. And his reputation was stellar. He was upright, and he pursued good deeds. And then all of a sudden he became a drunken and a glutton, all of a sudden they see him stuffing himself with a lot of cholesterol and a lot of alcohol. He's going in wayward ways and suspicious ways. In our days, we would say he became a drug addict. He became an alcoholic, a glutton. He's taking junkets to Vegas. And he's not going to visit Chabad of Vegas for bar mitzvahs. Moreover, suddenly he's making lots of vows. When you see somebody making lots of vows, you suspect that they can't control themselves, and that's why they're making lots of vows, and vows are not good to make. And he's being suspected of borderline theft. And this guy is living off the estate of orphans. As the old saying goes, this fellow said, as ich wollt gekennt, reden English, if I could only speak English, wollt ich zigegangen zum President Reagan, I'd walk over to President Reagan, who was the president at that time, and ich wollt ihm gesucht, Mr. President, fe, 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 fe. I would tell him, fe, shame, 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 was soll ich tun, as ich kenn ich kein English. What should I do if I can't speak English? So they got to walk over to this guy and say, Feh! Bezen Chayov in the courts are obligated. Lasalakai say to remove him. And to cause him to take an oath that he's straight. And to appoint a legal, proper, responsible, kosher guardian. Said the Rambam Halacha cannot go into every fine detail but the judges, who are hopefully God-fearing, honest judges, they have to use their own understanding, because, and again, one of these powerful phrases, every beddin, every court, is the father of orphans. 
And if the court is not going to protect orphans, who will? You know, a euphemism for a court is Elohim, is God. The court acts in place of God. What is the expression we say in the Salichos prayers? Aneinu avi yisomim aneinu. Answer us, O Father of orphans. Answer us. So the court takes the position of Hashem as the father of orphans. Closing paragraph of this chapter. Ches, cotton shehigdil, if a minor grows up, he's now bar mitzvah plus, he's 18. And we see that he's eating and drinking more than he should. We see he's squandering his estate. Why? Why not? He's a teenager. And he's going in a perverted, crooked path. He's hanging out with bad guys. So what should we do? He's over the age of bar mitzvah. Should we freeze his estate? The answer is no. He's an adult. Torah law, over 13 for a young man and over 12 for a young lady. He's an adult. The courts are not obligated to freeze his estate to hold back his money from him. Nor are the courts obligated to appoint a guardian. As we talked earlier, there are just so many guardians available. This is an adult. Unless his father, who knew his customers, or whoever's estate it was, gave the word, that he should not get it. Unless he's going in the right path, unless he's a responsible, successful person, a, or, and this is in our world, many trust funds work this way. You can't touch the trust fund until you're 21, or until you're 25, or until you're married, or until you're gainfully employed, or, or whatever. The condition of the trust fund. They should, unless the condition stated, they should not give him this money for a long time, then the courts have to enforce the condition of the estate. But if there was no condition to the estate, the court does not protect people and stop them from squandering their own wealth. What about someone who's not responsible? to someone who's mentally unstable, that's something else. Ba'cheta, someone who's a deaf mute who legally is not responsible, well then, that's a different story. They are like minors, they have to be protected. And the court must appoint for them a Petrupus, a court appointed guardian. End of chapter 10.